0: Well, it seems the defects disaster is even worse than we thought. The tip of the iceberg, said a report on the weekend. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I edit the Flat Chat website and write the column in the Australian Financial Review every weekend.
1: And I'm Sue Williams, property writer and journalist.
0: And this is the Flat Chat (music) Wrap. So, Sue, tip of the iceberg.
1: Yeah, when you say it's worse than we thought, probably worse than most people thought, but maybe not worse than we thought.
0: No, that's true. We've (laughs) known about this for ages and been telling people about it for ages, and they haven't been listening, but now they know.
1: Yeah, I just remember 15 years ago, I was working for a newspaper and I wrote a piece about defects, and it was pulled at the last minute when another journalist, a colleague reported to to a developer that the story was going ahead about lots of buildings being ridden by defects. The pa- the page was pulled because of fears that the newspaper might lose some advertising and I nearly quit my job over it. Well really.
0: I remember you know, that incident mm. because the reporter, well an alleged reporter, phoned up the developer and the developer phoned the editor and and said if this story goes in we're pulling our advertising. So yeah.
1: the situation has been going on for a long time but this is the first time it's really kind of put its head above the parapet, which is fantastic, really. I mean, it's horrific to see the extent of the defects, but it's nice now that people at last know what's happening.
0: Yeah, because, you know, that, that story in the Sydney Morning Herald at the weekend, it listed a whole bunch of settlements that have been done and various apartment blocks for de- defects. These are either court rulings or settlements. You know, like I'm looking at one that's in Mona Vale for $2.6 million, another one for 800 150,000 down in San Susi it's it's a lot of money and then it turns out that there's a lot that we don't hear about that don't get listed because they've come to an agreement and part of the agreement is a non-disclosure
1: Absolutely And there's also a lot more from buildings that don't really want to face up to the issues because they don't want anyone to know about it because it will affect the value of their building. So they kind of chug along hoping that the building won't fall apart. They
0: think the problems will fix themselves and mm. no one will find out about it, and uh, or they, get and they can in, sell it.
1: Yeah, they get cracks in the walls of their apartment, but they fix them themselves, they get someone in. Yeah, you
0: know? but it doesn't fix the underlying problem a lot of the time, so that's waiting there for some unwary person, sure. which is something I'll be writing about in this weekend's financial review. How do you avoid buying a, an apartment that's uh, going to fall down?
1: Oh, that's, that's going to be an interesting one.
0: Yeah, um, <laughs> don't buy an apartment would be one <laughs> way but i'm not encouraging people to not live in apartments no, no, no. because We'd...
1: we live, love apartment living we were talking to a friend last night who we were all saying you know we, we would hate to live in houses now apartments are just offer such a wonderful lifestyle when you get a good apartment yeah we just want to make sure more people get good apartments
0: and that's the key isn't it so what is it what what contributes to this problem with all these defects i mean we heard about self certification in the past where developers paid the certifier just to say everything was okay but it seems to me that there's there's two underlying issues, one of which is the duty of care issue. That's um,
1: right, because builders don't actually have a duty of care to owners, do they?
0: No, the builder's duty of care is to the developer. And they say, and they've argued this successfully in court at a very senior level, that they can't have a duty of care to the owner's corporation because the owner's corporation didn't exist when the building was built, more to point when the contracts were signed. So they're saying, how can we have a duty of care to an organization that didn't exist? There was a big conference behind closed doors in Sydney last week, where this came up about the duty of care, much to the surprise of some of the people there that it was even being raised. But that's a key issue. And it's a key issue because of the other big problem, which is phoenixing, which is where a developer sets up in business, builds a building, and then cl- shuts down the company, which is, you know, a $200 off-the-peg company, before all the bills come in. And if the builder has no duty of care to anyone but the developer, and the developer has gone, mm. then yeah. who's going to fix the problems?
1: So I guess then you would always be a little bit wary or a little bit careful about development companies that set up special companies to develop certain blocks, and just name the company after the address of the building they're doing.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I mean, even some of the biggest, best-known companies have started doing, it's like a flat chat developers at 1 <laughs> George Street mm-hmm. is the name of the company. And people look at it and go, oh, yeah, that's that's the developer and that's the address. That's fine. They don't realize that the the company has been set up to be closed down.
1: Well, not always, but it no, no, ob- makes it much it's... more simple to close down if there are issues.
0: Yeah, because it protects the parent company from claims that arise All from that. The... assets. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, which is cheating in my view. It
1: is, because often those companies will close down and then you'll notice another development later on with the same directors of that company.
0: Mm, mm. And that's what I'll be saying at the weekend. How do you spot these companies? It's actually a lot easier than you would think mm. um, if you know where to look.
1: Good. And how do you stamp out Phoenix in? Because that's such a big issue, isn't it, as well?
0: Well, the the, the excuse that the government uses is that strata law and planning law are all state controlled. That's uh, by the individual states. And company law is a federal law. So they say that it's too hard to combine state law and federal law to get some way of preventing people from doing this thing of shutting down a company and then starting up and doing exactly the same thing Mm -hmm. again and again and again. Um, There are people like our good friend Stephen Goddard. The
1: strata lawyer and and the spokesperson for the Owners Corporation Network.
0: Thank you for that, yes. He says this is rubbish, you know, they're just, they're they're not trying hard enough.
1: Well, how hard is it for someone from Sydney and someone from Melbourne to go over to Canberra and work it all out.
0: Well, exactly. There's a big meeting next week of the planning ministers, and maybe they'll put that on the agenda if it's not already there. And one of the other solutions, and um, we'll talk about that in a minute. So we're talking about this big, messy mess, a big, messy mess of defects. <laughs> And one of the solutions proposed in New South Wales is the creation of a building commissioner.
1: Mm. It's right, a new
0: role high up in the, the, the whole building planning universe. But who is it? What will they do? What will their powers be? A bit is of a poison
1: thing- chalice as well, isn't it, really? That building commissioner... Everybody will be blaming him or her if anything goes wrong. And if they don't have the power to fix situations immediately, it's going to be really difficult. They're going to have to be able to negotiate with both sides of Parliament, really. And they've got to be able to tell developers what's happening. They've got to be be given quite strong powers, I think.
0: Yeah, but I don't think they're going to come riding in, in a, a, a van with flashing lights and drive up to a development and go, hang on a minute, you're doing something wrong here, stop work immediately.
1: Why not? I'd love to see that.
0: I don't think they'll have the resources <laughs> for mm. a start. And mm. I don't think the laws are in place. You'd have to have a whole raft of laws. I see the building commissioner as being somebody who'll come in, look at all the issues. For instance, we made a joke about, Flat Chat Developers. We could literally just set up a company called Flat Chat Developments. And if there is a company out there called Flat Chat Developments, I apologize. Um, But we could set up a company with any name, call ourselves developers, get loans from the bank, find somewhere, get some builders. We could become developers. Qualifications, zero. Mm. Actually, we're probably better qualified than many of the the developments that are starting (laughs) up. And that could be something that the commissioner could be and should be looking at is some sort of regulation and certification of developers.
1: And certification of engineers as well. Yeah. um, Lots of engineers say we need to have a proper certified system because some people can set themselves up as engineers really without many qualifications.
0: Chatting to Stephen Goddard, the architects and engineers, if they sign off on their plans and say this plan has been designed to code, then the builders should sign off and say we are going to build to that plan. Because as we know, what happens is often the architects and engineers come in and they work out how to put the building together. How, what it's going to look like and, and how it's all going to fit together. And then the developer comes in and says, well, I can save some money by not doing that and by not doing that. And that makes perfect sense to me. You you start with the design, which has been approved by the council. So the planners, the architects and the engineers all sign off and say, this is the 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 plan that will work. And the builders have to build to that plan. Mm,
1: no, it's good. Because when you think who are the independent people on site, they're the engineers and the architects. Yeah. And I talked to lots of architects last week because um, I was doing a story on the New South Wales Architecture Awards. Yep. And all the ones who develop apartment buildings were all saying we really need to be one of the certifying authorities because we're independent We have the interests of the owners at heart because we we want to build great buildings that last for a long time and that people are really proud of. And we're the ones who understand the plans, the design, how it's put together. And we should be the ones certifying these buildings.
0: Now, your developer's going to say, yeah, but that's going to be hugely expensive. All these fancy dan architects with their crazy ideas.
1: But they don't have crazy ideas. I mean, they're they're very used now to working within budgets. They're often working with materials which aren't very expensive anymore. I mean, one of the um, architects I talked to was talking about a building where all the facade was just raw concrete because he said that weather's really well, it looks really good, it lasts a long, long time and it's much better than, you know, cheap cladding which might provide a bit of glitter for the first couple of years and then...
2: Go on fire.
1: Well, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, these are really very sensible architects who have a good idea about working to a budget and working within constraints.
0: But that would get rid of the design and construct... Um,
1: that's right you
0: know where the the developer says you know I want an eight-story apartment block and and here's my um, off-the-peg designs for the the floor plans and the builder goes yeah yeah I can do that and just give me the plans and give me the council approval and give me the money and I'll and I'll do it and of course the potential for disaster that that creates yeah having said that I'm sure there are some Builders who are perfectly capable of building, you know, good solid blocks, and do so
1: absolutely. But before design and construct came in, architects were always signing off on buildings. They were in there at the heart of the action. Yeah. And we don't have many building problems from buildings twenty years old. No, really. apart
0: from, you know, apart far from the fact that they're old, and mm. the, but the fact that they're still standing up is a testimony to a system oh. that worked.
1: Because you look at some of the buildings being built today, and you think, will they still be around? In well, 20 years, 30 well, some, years, some 50 of,
0: years? Some of them are sinking before our very yeah, eyes. That's so, right. uh, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's not very hopeful.
1: And it's interesting as well, when you look at some of the big developers, they actually have their own building companies as well. So that's really interesting. You know, they're the developers... They're the builders, they have their own design and their own architecture team as well. Yeah. And those companies, you you think you'd avoid some of the problems. And there are other buildings where the developers hold on to the buildings. Yeah. You know, They decide that they love the building so much and they rent out the apartments. They might sell a few, but they rent out others. And they actually then have a real interest in making sure a building is going to last and look good for for a long time.
2: Are
0: they not just trying to avoid defects being pursued. Oh,
1: you're cynical.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Maybe that's a possibility, but some of them, I think, are actually genuinely proud of their buildings and want to hold on to them.
0: Yeah. And, and the listeners should know that a large ginger cat just jumped up on our table, so that's for the sound effects if you heard them. Um, right, well we've spoken a lot about architects we'll talk about the architecture awards you mentioned after this break. So, Sue, you've been writing about architects and the Architecture Awards.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's been really interesting because um, obviously you look at houses and then you look at apartments. And some of the apartment buildings this year were pretty fabulous. And everyone was talking about how design standards are going up, while, ironically, building standards are plummeting. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so that's a real shame. And it, but it gave some of the architects a platform to talk about how they felt that they should um, contribute to the construction process as well.
0: Mm. And what were the outstanding buildings in your view?
1: Well, the winner of the top award was um, a complex in North Rocks, which is in the Hills District of Sydney. Right. And that's... Interesting because North Rocks isn't an area particularly well known for its fabulous apartment buildings. No. um, This was an extremely good one. It won the Aaron Bolot Award for Angelo Candelapis of Candelapis Associates. It's a really big building built in a series of blocks. It looks quite stern. One of the judges said it looked a little bit Soviet. Ooh. (laughs) And I put that to Angelo and he, he, he was a bit miffed by that. But I then bet he, started, he was. Yeah, but then he started saying "But if by that they mean there's a real equality for the residents <laughs> and a real kind of enduring element, he worked very hard to try and yeah, kind of turn yeah. it into a positive, really. But yeah, that was a, a really good building.
0: So what what were the other buildings?
1: Um, in Hurstville, Frank Stanisic won the architectural award for a really beautiful building. And that has... Lots of areas where um, there's plenty of external sky terraces or kind of communal gardens where residents can get together. So families can go there because there's lots of places for kids' birthday parties and stuff. And that's really nice because I think architects now are very aware that when you're designing apartments, you're building communities. Yes. And they want communities of all sorts of different People, families, older people, younger people, couples starting out—they want everybody to be in the same in those buildings yep. and have great spaces as well as good good apartments as well. Right. And interestingly, another winner was a student accommodation block, right, um, which was built in Redfern, and that was a winner under the multiple housing category, right. which is odd because it was up against some big luxurious apartment buildings.
0: Is that the one that started off as two terraced houses?
1: Started off as 10 terraced houses. 10 terraced <laughs> okay. That's <laughs> right. right, yeah. And
0: did they manage to retain the facades? They and did, things?
1: they did. And that's why they were praised so highly by the judges, because they, they kept the facades and they turned the lower ground floors into cafes and restaurants and convenience stores, all the kind of things that students might like to shop at, really. Yep. So, they've created this real buzzy little street, a little bit like Spice Alley in Chippendale. Right. It looks very much like that. Yeah. And it's of that era. It's, it's kept the red brick that we know so well from Redfern. Yeah. So it looks really good at, at ground level. They've created a laneway between the buildings. And then, of course, the building, I think, is about 13 stories high. Right. And there they were praised as well for having communal spaces, lots of spaces where students can go and right. chat together, they can study together, yep. um, which is really important too because... Especially with overseas students, you know, they, they can be quite isolated. Yep. They're put into fairly small studios, really, yep. and they can have mental health issues because they don't have much of a social life because they don't mm, have much money. Mm. So if there are these special areas where they can go, meet other students, sit there and read a book, have a chat over a cup of coffee, that, that's a fantastic thing.
0: Yeah, because it does seem that trends are moving in different directions when quite near us uh, here is uh, a new boarding house going up. They're taking over a garage space on a corner. It's a corner where people dump their old furniture. It's next to an existing boarding house, but they're putting up this very space-agey place. Mm. And it will be, I'm guessing, well, what they're saying is, you know, this is not for, you know, one of these boarding houses for indigent gentlemen or that kind of thing. (laughs) It's for young singles who are just coming into the area, you know, want to get a foothold in the area, get get an idea of what's around them so they can live reasonably economically in the heart of the city.
1: That's right. These are called new generation boarding houses. And they're so different from the grotty old places that we remember from years ago. You know, when people just came out of prison, they were they will put yeah. in there and yeah. you know people who really down on their luck these are kind of really quite vibrant spaces really well designed usually and they have a lot of young people going in there because some young people obviously don't earn very much it is yeah. really affordable accommodation other young people might decide that they'd like to spend more money on their lifestyle yeah you know, it's millennials for you yeah. rather than spending you know half of their income on a place to live yeah. so they're actually a really good addition to the housing landscape i think and Everybody talks about how we need much more variegated housing. And and this is one way of providing it.
0: Yeah. The only problem I can see is that the people who own the garages own a boarding house right next door. (laughs) And the space age building is going to make their boarding house look even older and crappier than it does. Well, maybe they'll paint it or something.
1: Well, one hopes maybe they'll say to the architects, oh, why don't you come over and renovate our building? Come come inside. Have a
0: look. See what you can do with this. Mm. And on that positive note um, thanks so much sue for coming in and talk to us again pleasure jimmy and uh, i'm sure we'll be talking again soon
2: Before we go, an amazing thing has happened in the past couple of weeks. We've had the 10,000th download from this podcast series. So thanks for listening, especially if you found us recently and have gone back into the archives to look for more. If you're listening to the podcast for the first time, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify or whatever podcatcher platform you use and new episodes will be delivered to you pretty much as soon as we post them. And it's all for free. If you're not into podding, you can catch us now on YouTube as well. And of course, if you have any questions about living in strata, or just want to find out what's going on generally, go to our website, flat-chat.com.au. That's all for this week. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jimmy Thompson. Talk to you again soon.